Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that healthcare could be so complicated. I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check. And that was President Donald Trump speaking from the White House about his plans to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act and why it might be taking a little bit longer than everyone expected. I'm in the office today. We're working on our normal midweek Pulse Check podcast. But I was struck talking to my colleagues, Paul Demko, Jen Habercorn, and others, just how many different stories we're all working on and how busy it is right now in healthcare and healthcare politics. So today's episode is a little bit of a bonus. I pulled Jen and Paul in for a quick conversation on their reporting out on the trail, covering town halls, covering the repeal effort in DC. I hope you enjoy it. Again, bonus episode. We'll be back with a normal full-length episode later this week. Jen, you were out on the town hall trail last week. You were in Iowa. Paul, you were in Tennessee. What did you see out there that surprised you about the reaction to the Affordable Care Act? Or, or was it essentially what you would have expected based on your reporting ahead of time? You know, I really didn't know what to expect. And I had this long drive from Des Moines to um, uh, Iowa Falls in a very, very heavy fog in Iowa. So I had like an hour and a half at 530 in the morning to think about what I was going to encounter at this 745 a.m. town hall. And I was thinking there could be 12 people there who go to every single one of Senator Grassley's town halls and have nothing interesting to say, or it's going to be, you know, 200 people angry about the Affordable Care Act. And it was definitely the latter. Um, I talked to several people in the room ahead of time, and several of them had never been to a town hall before. Um, They were there not just because of Obamacare, but because of just in general Trump's agenda. A couple of folks said, you know, I want to make clear that I'm an Iowan who doesn't support Trump. Um, They were against Russia, ACA repeal. Um, Betsy DeVos, education secretary, but it was it was very passionate. It was organic, you know. Despite what the president has said, these are not paid protesters. I didn't encounter anyone who gave any hint of that. You did encounter a pig farmer. If, if, I did, yeah. and um, the, the 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 pig farmer who is enrolled in Obamacare told Senator Grassley that he brought him tums because the senator is going to be in for a couple of rough years, which was <laughs> pretty great. Um, as a journalist, I thanked the journalism gods for that little anecdote. Grassley, like, did he, did his team, are they cognizant of just how weird the flip is seven years later that now he's on the other side and people are coming out after protesting years ago, don't pass this law, now they're petitioning him, keep it? You know, we asked Senator Grassley that, and I thought his answer was kind of interesting. He said, you know, if Hillary Clinton had won, there would have been conservatives that had come out. And he thought it's just, you know, people responding to the election. And that sort of makes sense. Like, there's this big election. People are very passionate. How do they respond to that? How do they kind of put that into action? They show up at their senator's town hall. Um, but it wasn't lost on him that he went through the 2009 town halls. He did say that these were nothing compared to them, um, which so I thought was interesting. Really yeah, he's, interesting. He's minimizing the impact. Yeah. Um, and I said, I asked him, he had gone through two town halls at this point, and I asked him if this was going to change anything about how he pursued Obamacare repeal. And he said no. He said that had it had these town halls happened in November or December, he would have been nervous because Republicans at that point were not talking about replace right away. It was just repeal. And the message he kind of got from the town halls was the importance of replace 
and addressing things like pre-existing conditions. Well, let's let's come back to that in a second because I think the big question is, will Republicans be able to actually replace the Affordable Care Act where the constituency is? But Paul, your experience too on the road in Tennessee, was it similar to what Jen saw, just rowdy people pro-ACA or was it some other mix? No, I would say it was very similar. I was, um, well, I flew to Nashville and the first place I went was a, a protest outside of Senator Alexander and Senator Corker's offices. And what struck me about that was that it seems to just be like this thing that people do now at noon in Nashville is like show up or at outside. 8 a.m. in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. show, up, show up outside their offices and, and protest um, and then like go and try to visit their offices. Um, so I was struck by, particularly in a, a, a pretty deep red state, how galvanized folks are and fired up they are um, and also informed. I think Jen had this experience too, like got got the sense that people are really kind of educating themselves and are, 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 try, are, are excited to kind of pick this fight in a way you wouldn't have seen previously. And then I went about a half hour outside of Nashville to a little town called Fairview, about 8,000 people, um, uh, represented Marsha Blackburn's district. And it was pretty much entirely, it was only about 80 people could fit in the in the little city hall there, but they were pretty much all antagonistic toward her. It wasn't, it, it was civil, um, it was spirited, um, you know, about the, the, the worst altercation was people, you know, yelling shame on you at her. Um, about half the questions were dealt with the ACA. Um, and, you know, most of the, you know, it wasn't all people from her district. There were like some folks I talked to who had driven in from uh, Murfreesboro, but it was still, you know, very much as Jen said, organic and, and people not, you know, not some kind of organized campaign. It was folks showing up on their own. Well, it makes me wonder this strong reaction, which went viral and people on the left were sharing videos like crazy. I, I wonder if it had been more of a mix, if it wasn't just this overwhelming yelling back about save the ACA and shame on you, would it have resonated more? Because it sounds like, Jen, per what Grassley said and what other Republicans have said, it may not actually make that much of a difference as they push ahead. It may have made the left feel energized. But is there any real impact from this week of fighting to save the ACA at town halls? I'm not sure that there is going to be one. I mean, Republicans knew that some people are not going to like their vote to repeal the ACA. But they have campaigned on this for seven years now. And they know that if they don't vote to repeal, the opposite crowd is going to come to their next town hall and vote them out. So if anything, maybe it will make the debate a little more focused on making sure those people with pre-existing condition concerns are protected. But I don't see like ACA repeal dying over this. Yeah, I guess I would agree that the town halls and um, the kind of, you know, hostile crowds that they're facing probably doesn't make that much of a difference. But I did get the sense from people on the ground there that they really felt like their efforts, particularly to target Senators Corker and Alexander, have made a difference in how they're talking about repeal and replace and um, made them much more cautious about simply saying, you know, we're going to 
dismantle this law. Um, I don't know if, 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 if that's true, but that's definitely, that's part of what I think is galvanizing people is that they feel like they've seen a change, uh, particularly among their senators, in how they're talking about what's going to happen next. You know, that's a good point. I mean, Lamar Alexander was kind of the leader of the uh, call to not do repeal immediately. So whether that came from his constituents or, you know, something in his brain, if, if people in Tennessee are feeling that, that's, that's, that's interesting that they're seeing that impact. Well, yeah. let's, let's, let's think about the roadmap now. It's Monday afternoon as we're recording this. President Trump has talked about how complicated the Affordable Care Act is. It's a big shocker to, to all of us in, in the field, I'm sure. But he's giving a speech Tuesday night on potential health care next steps. It's unclear exactly what he'll be talking about, but it seems like health care would, would be a topic. He's met with governors. He met with the insurance industry. Health care is clearly top of mind for him. And Paul Ryan has indicated he's going to be pushing forward with a plan soon, a plan that, Paul, you had a huge scoop on last week, and we'll talk a little bit about what those details are. But Jen, while, while we've got you, I'm curious about what we will actually see in the weeks ahead. Because if Republicans are coalescing around repealing ACA through budget reconciliation, that doesn't actually leave a lot for replacing the law as Lamar Alexander and other moderates might want. Yeah, so I think this week, you know, now that this bill has been leaked and obviously members have seen it, they probably saw it, you know, not to toot our own horn in Politico before they saw it from their leadership. You should totally toot our own horn. This is a Politico <laughs> podcast. Yes, Paul had a great scoop on Friday to get the plan. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious. Our members going to be frustrated that they, you know, they saw an outline from leadership before the um, President's Day break. Um but now that the bill text is out there, you know, how are members responding? There are several kind of um, points of friction that remain. Medicaid, um, capping the exclusion, all of these hairy policy details that Republicans are not aligned on. And they have to kind of come to some consensus this week, next week, and weeks to come. And that's just in the House. Um, the House, it, it, it appears they want to start doing markups. It was this week. I think now it'll be next week. Um, and moving toward the House floor, um, and then it has to get to the Senate. And the Senate, you know, has been involved in the conversation so far, but hasn't really weighed into the point that the House had. So I think we're far from a bill landing on um, President Trump's desk. Yeah, and I think, you know, something last week, uh, Jen and I were talking about this earlier, but I don't know that it got as much attention as it deserves, but Senator Murkowski coming mm -hmm. out and saying flatly that you know she she can't she won't vote for something that repeals Medicaid expansion just seemed like a big or problem. Or defunds Planned Parenthood. Or defunds Planned Parenthood. I mean that just seems like it's going to be a, a a big issue going forward. So Consider now if you're down to 51 senators, uh, you were at 52 Republicans. Lisa Murkowski with those two provisions, you're down to 51. Everyone has you know wondered whether Susan Collins is going to vote no as well, then you're down to 50, and Mike Pence can break that tie for Republicans, but that is a very, very but, but, slim and, margin. And, and once you know that Medicaid marker has been laid down, what does uh, Senator Portman do in Ohio? Right. What does Senator uh, Capito do in West Virginia, um, states where a lot of people have gotten coverage? So. Well, what does Dean Heller in Nevada do? I mean, mm -hmm. he quizzed Seema Verma, CMS administrator, on the possibility of Medicaid cutbacks. So there, there are these moderate Republicans or Republicans in these more purple states mm -hmm. that are um, potential targets here. But Jen, I want to go back to you and, and letting listeners inside our Politico bubble. But we talked about this off air earlier today. 
what happens if you've got a few wavering senators? Do do party leaders just basically like knock their heads and pull them in line? I mean, it's it's quite possible that what they're saying now is not what they will actually vote on in a few weeks. Absolutely. And I I mean, my kind of thought in the back of my brain when we talk about all the problems facing Obamacare repeal right now is that when a bill is put before them and they have to say vote yes or no, if you have an R next to your name, are you actually going to vote against Obamacare repeal? And I think that's going to be a very compelling point. I mean, unless you want to get primaried or unless you are a very, very moderate Republican and you can you want to vote against Obamacare repeal to pr- prove your moderate bona fides, but that's, you know, a handful of lawmakers in both parties now. So leadership does have that on their side, and I think that's going to be a very compelling narrative. But like if we think about Medicaid, <clears throat> if enough Republicans make their voice heard, I could easily see the Medicaid expansion repeal being deleted from the bill, and then it moves forward as a slimmed-down repeal measure. And then, you know, you'll have the Freedom Caucus and conservatives saying this bill isn't enough. But again, you put all Donald Trump needs to say is this is the Obamacare repeal bill. I dare you to vote against it. And then even the Freedom Caucus would have a hard time voting no. I would love to know. You may have this answer on top of your top of your tip of your tongue, top of your brain. How many times have individual Republicans voted against ACA repeal measures the past few years? It's like a tiny, tiny number in the scheme of things. Yeah. Um, I, there's always a couple, um, and it kind of varied. There were different measures over the years that repealed different aspects of the law, but there were very few. Um, and certainly when it came to um, full repeal, there were only three Republicans in the House who dared to vote against it. Um, and uh, at least one of them is no longer in the House, um, and I think the two remain. Um, but even them, they have kept kept the door open to voting against, uh, voting for it in the future. Let's dive a little deeper into what the plan might actually look like. And now that we've tooted your scoop like four times, Paul, what is in the Ryan bill, at least the one that you scooped on Friday? Well, I mean, the biggest things are, you know, phasing out Medicaid expansion in favor of some kind of per capita cap starting in 2020, um, an overhaul of the the subsidies while removing the Obamacare subsidies and putting in place a tax credit that instead of being um, linked to income will be linked to age and that will be less generous. Um, And, um, you know, to getting rid of all of the the taxes from Obamacare, um, you know, the taxes that paid for these coverage expansions. And then in its place, the only the only means of paying for uh, the new system is a, a cap on uh, the, the, the exclusion of uh, premiums that for employer sponsored plans. So it's unclear, you know, how much money that will generate. They're talking about capping them at, as I understand it, sort of 90% of the the average premium. So anything above that would not be uh, tax exempt. Do we have a sense for how many Republicans in the two chambers support this overall? Like, is this going to land with a ton of bricks in the Senate? Or are there enough people in the Senate that if this becomes the plan moving forward, there will be votes there for it? Well, I, I think it's hard to say, but I would say like particularly, you know, the cap on the exclusion is going to be a very, very hard sell to business groups. 
they are not going to like it. Um, and, you know, Republicans uh, will push back on this. I already got some pushback on it on Friday that it's very similar to the Cadillac tax, the loathed Cadillac tax that was, you know, a got bipartisan opposition. Um, you know, it looks a lot like that. Um, and so is how are Republicans going to be willing to to to, to back that? Um, I know it's, you know, something that, that Speaker Ryan has been in favor of, but I don't know how well that's going to play in the caucuses. It'll be interesting to see. One pushback I saw on our reporting is that the document we had was about two weeks old. And it had been Originally, the other pushback was that we were only posting like one out of every two pages online. But I, I just blame like a bad copy machine for that. But once we had put up the full uh, document, it was it was about 14 days old, I think. Does that matter? Like, could the bill have changed considerably while it was in process of getting looked at and scored? Well, I think I can tell you a little bit. Um, the person who uh, th that leaked this to me, I was told that this was sort of the third permutation that this person had seen and that um, this was what CBO um, had looked at um, and you know there's a lot of speculation that the the results from from the initial CBO assessment were not pretty um, and that this was starting to be circulated to some of the agencies um, so I don't think that those things would be true if this wasn't something that was, you know, currently being uh, discussed. Sticking with you and, and your reporting, you've also been on the beat for the insurance industry and how they've been pushing back on potential ACA repeal or changes. They just met with Trump today. It wasn't the full panoply of insurers, but certainly some of the very big ones. Yeah. Mark Bertolini, uh, David uh, Cordani. Mm -hmm. So, what very, very awkward meeting with him and Joe Swedish standing next to each other, having a picture taken uh, with the president after they just uh, went through their sort of nasty breakup and are now suing each other over the terminated deal between Anthem and Cigna. That's the, the mega merger that fell apart in part because Cigna didn't want to do it anymore. Exactly. And, and undermined it. Um, it's, it's like seeing your ex-girlfriend except at the White House and on live TV. <laughs> right. So did we learn anything from that insurer meeting or was it just – more pageantry. I think it was more pageantry. Um, I, I think what I will say is there's a fair amount of evidence that insurers have a very strong hand that they are playing right now. They know that if they walk away from this system, even though Republicans want to repeal it and get rid of it, they know that it would kind of it would collapse, and Republicans would be looking at uh, having a, a big mess on their hands, and a lot of people who have coverage um, not longer ha no longer having access to coverage so uh, insurers kind of have them um in a bind here and you saw with uh, particularly with the trump administration's um uh, proposed uh regulations a couple weeks ago that is pretty much a laundry list of things that the uh, insurance companies have been asking for, um, particularly cracking down on special enrollment periods um, was a big one on their list. And also um, the uh, grace periods in which, uh, you know, people can stop paying their premiums but continue to, to access coverage and then they could come back in um, without necessarily settling their, their prior debts. So I think there's a lot of evidence that the Trump administration, whether they want to or not, um, is is listening to the insurers and what they say they need um, in order to stick with this system while Republicans come up with their, uh, you know, replacement. 
You made a good point to me. I stuck it in Pulse today, which was that the co-ops weren't there. And these were the insurance startups funded through the ACA. A lot of their funding got knocked out by Republicans. So in theory, these are very pro-ACA organizations that have as much as any insurer will rise or, or fall based on the success of the ACA. Also Molina, another insurer that's generally seen positives from, from the law. Does it matter that these proponents of the ACA weren't in the room with Trump? Or do you think that the big insurers that were there were able to carry their message regardless? I mean, I think the biggest, I mean, the, the, the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association and Anthem and some of the big blues, and they were all in the in the in the in the meeting. You know, Pat Garrity from Florida Blue, um, another champion of the law. Yeah, Independence Blue Cross, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. I think those are those are the vital players. Those are the dominant carriers in most markets at this point. So you got to have the blues. Um, so I think that's the bigger deal. I think they would have, you know, presented their view of the exchanges, um, you know, quite clearly. And I, I think they probably share a lot of the same view as uh, Molina. You know, the co-ops, there's only six of them left. Um, so they're really not that big of a deal at this point. 17 of them have collapsed. In a few states, you know, they're still a significant player, like New Mexico, I think, is, is one. Um, but I don't think, you know, the co-op sticking around isn't going to be crucial to, to the exchanges continuing to, to be uh, functional. So Jen had to duck out to take a call. So I can't ask her this. I'm just going to ask you, Trump is scheduled to give his talk to Congress, his, his address on whatever policy priorities he sees fit on Tuesday night. How much of that do you think is going to be on health care, if you had to predict? I mean, I, 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 I think it will be, my guess is it will be front and center, but it won't be a big part of the speech because he doesn't really know how to talk about health care. Um, you see it again and again and again. He doesn't really understand it. And I'm not even being critical of him. It's very complicated, but he doesn't really even have That's the- That's a direct quote, actually, of Trump. It's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, he doesn't really have the, the, the language to discuss it. So I assume, you know, my guess- based on nothing, is, you know, front and center, he'll talk about what a disaster Obamacare is going to be, has been, and and that they're going to repeal and replace it, and it'll be terrific. Um, but that'll probably be about the extent of it. My, my own read after some reporting and analysis, though, again, neither one of us is in the White House understanding what, what the speech is going to look like. He has been telegraphing now for days that healthcare is a top priority. Meeting with the governors, healthcare, I'm, I'm going to talk about. That was a tweet he put out this weekend. Uh, met with Kasich on Friday and Walker and, and Scott, uh, governors uh, Scott Walker and Rick Scott on, on Saturday, talking about healthcare with them too. So I, I completely agree. The language on healthcare isn't there, but it's like he's doing this crash course very quickly to try and get up to some fluency. And uh, this this meeting today, apparently on, on Monday, telling Tom Price he wants to plan out in the next two weeks. So it does feel like things are teeing up that he will, he has to address it. It would be weird if he didn't. Yeah. I, I kind of wish there was like a betting market because I feel like he's going to talk about it for about two and a half minutes, 
which right. which is substantial. As someone who like would track how long Obama would talk at his his addresses, talking about healthcare at one of these speeches for a few minutes is a real signaling effect that it is a priority to him. Yes, I mean I agree with you. If, if, for him not to not talk about it would be really odd. Um, I mean I don't see how you you back down at this point in time, um, given how many times he's you know promised that we're going to repeal and replace. Um, so. Um, well, I guess we'll find out tomorrow night, huh? I, I guess so. And since you're here, and shout out to Joanne Kennan, our editor who has us working on a panoply, panoply? Sure. <laughs> a monopoly of stories. Um, <laughs> is there anything that you're working on that you could tease to listeners? Well, I'm working on a piece uh, based on some of my reporting down in Tennessee, um, kind of looking what's going on there with the individual market because, you know, Republicans uh, frequently, you know, say that Obamacare is in a death spiral or is collapsing or what have you. And, and, and in most places, that's not true, really. But um, the individual market in Tennessee truly has been a mess um, with, you know, co-op collapsed, Blue Cross Blue Shield pulled out of all the major markets. Now Humana is pulling out uh, 63% or something like that, more than 50% pr- premium increases. Um, so that's kind of something I'm working on right now. That's it for Pulse Check today. And thanks to Jen Habercorn, Paul Demko, my colleagues, for, for making time. Thanks to Matt Supasinski and Bridget Mulcahy for producing. You can find Pulse Check on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast apps. It should be there, and we will have a regular episode up midweek per usual. And you can find me at ddiamondapolitico.com if you have suggestions for future episodes. We'll be back again very soon. <laughs>